Hi, welcome to Taj Tellum. Uh, today we have a special episode just to get away from our usual political talk. And uh, what are we going to tell them today? Well, we're going to be talking about compassion fatigue, ways to help it, including neurofeedback, uh, nootropics, meditation. So basically, how to be superhuman? <laughs> how to be very LA. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, welcome to a special episode of Taj Tell. Uh, you know, we've been covering the candidates uh, for president in 2020, but we figure nah, now it's a nice time to kind of take a break, you know, take a break from the news cycle. Uh, like most news, uh, it's a lot of bad news. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, you know, I've been noticing just from like some of the conversations I've been having with, uh, you know, various people that there's a little bit of like uh, compassion fatigue happening right now. Compassion um, fatigue. Explain. Oh, yeah, like, you know, you, you hear, like, all this bad news, and then, you know, it makes you feel, you know, bad, whether it be, like, the economy, whether it be these shootings, whether it be, you know, uh, Trump not being able to buy Greenland, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Boo-hoo. Um, and so, you know, I was talking to someone at my meditation center, and then she had this uh, idea of, like, titrating uh, media consumption. And so what she meant by that is, uh, you know, by titrating, it's like um, the the metaphor she used to say you have an IV drip. Uh, it's like this, you know, very much controlling your your exposure to something. And so it's know, like a like a social media cleanse or something like that. Uh, in a sense, but it's not that dramatic. It's not necessarily a fast, but it's more so like, oh, I'm only going to check the news like for, you know, 10 minutes, uh, you know, during my lunch break. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to try to ignore it every other time. Mm-hmm. Um or I'm only going to check in once a week or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, you know, that's kind of like a strategy, you know, in mind uh, when it comes to, like, you know, battling com- uh, compassion fatigue. Um, but, you know, I began to kind of uh, explore, like, other potential strategies. Um, and I think, you know, I discovered one that was pretty interesting. So um, it actually came from someone else at my meditation center. This uh, I don't really know him very well. It was this very erudite uh, young young man. Uh, and he mentioned this uh, idea of a techno samadhi. Techno samadhi. Uh, oh yeah. Samadhi is referring to. Uh, so samadhi is referring to a certain type of uh, meditative concentration. Uh, and you know, within the Buddhist cosmology, there's like uh, these like it's divided into these like jhana states. Um, and like, but the the whole the whole idea of techno samadhi is. Um, Nowadays, especially with like Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. uh, they're beginning to do a little more kind of like neurological research on mm-hmm. these meditative states of mind. Uh, and they're also doing uh, developing technologies to try to uh, get you into these certain spaces uh, in a way like hacking the brain. Mm. And so by technology, do you mean LSD? Uh, you know, that, that's one, you know, that, that's definitely one, you know, I, I think Michael Pollan's book, uh, how to hack, uh, how to, how to change your mind, you know, it's definitely, it's on the New York right. Times. But no, always. you know what? Meditation is on a lot of podcasts that I hear, uh, a lot of, you know, these, uh, ultra successful, um, people like, uh, Naval, uh, Rackingent, um, Joe Rogan, they all, you know, and, and even in Pasadena, we have this, uh, the float center. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a huge movement towards me- meditation. And a lot of people feel like meditation, there's kind of a, uh, kind of a religious aspect to it, but you can use meditation without that. Well, that's fair. It's just a technology, you know, and that's the thing. I, I think it's associated with this kind of woo woo crystal stuff, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I think the secular mindfulness movement, uh, extracted a lot of the principles and practices. Oh yeah. Mindfulness. That's how, that's how they explain it now. 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm actually kind of curious, Jack. So, you know, what do you do if you just feel like a little overloaded, you know, by life, the news, et cetera? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, if I get overloaded, I, it's almost, it's like a, a drug. You just kind of get more into it somehow. And then, uh, there, I, I guess I don't use meditation for that. I, I, I feel like because I've meditated before, I, it, it just happens. I don't think about, um, that I've been overloaded until I've actually done the meditation. Ah, so you don't realize that, you know, your mind's going a mile a minute until you really get quiet on the inside mm -hmm. by meditating. So it, it helps organize my thoughts. But yeah, it's like, oh, you know, I haven't meditated for a while. So I, let me sit down and meditate. And once I meditate and I go, whoa, you know, all of a sudden I go, man, my, my mind is really, really uh, allowed. There's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, so when, once you're aware of it, what kind of helps you kind of like calm the mind? Um. The thing is, I, I've been doing uh, meditation uh, for a while, and then I on and off. It's like a love-hate relationship almost now. But uh, I, before that, I was I had to listen uh, to my breath. I used my breath as a way to to meditate better. But now it's actually very interesting. I listened to Naval Rakajian talk to um, Joe Rogan, and he just said, you know, he just thinks of nothing. And I, I'm actually able to get to that space now just because I've had practice before and I've had practice of um, concentrating on the, the breath. And then so once I sit down, I just think about nothing. I actually begin by thinking about the darkness that I see and then slowly things kind of dissipate. And then, um, and funny, this is kind of how I know I'm overloaded too. Um, then I start thinking about all the stuff that that's going on in politics and how, uh, you know, how sad the state of affairs are. And then, but, you know, I don't let that take over me. Um, it sounds a little esoteric here, but uh, I, I really just, you know, see it as something in the river and I just let it pass by and I, I don't, hold myself you know i don't i don't i don't hurt myself i don't i don't like criticize myself for thinking about all that and i just go okay back to the darkness and uh i'm able to get up to like 15 minutes now which is nice um and i, I feel a lot better afterwards when you say darkness so what, what are you referring to just the uh, when i close my eyes you know i don't see anything uh, the, the literal darkness the literal <laughs> darkness not like the light versus the dark okay not like i'm not a 666 guy <laughs> i like to meditate <laughs> like to eat babies uh, no like yeah no, oh, no so no, it was just the it was just like the 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 darkness of of uh, of me having my eyes closed instead of focusing on my breath I mean, you mentioned also like a love-hate relationship with meditation. So what do you love about it? What do you hate about it? I love about, I, I love every aspect of it, how I feel afterwards, how clear my mind is, how calm I feel. The hate is I need to meditate. Is like, it like the time commitment that is? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I heard this uh, really good saying. He says, if uh, uh, you should meditate 10 minutes uh, a day, Oh, no, I think the saying is you should meditate half an hour a day. Mm. And if you don't have time, you should meditate an hour a day. <laughs> no, that, that's a good one. It, mm -hmm. it, it feels like, uh, it sounds like something I, uh, this is this old like Martin Luther quote, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the guy who like, mm -hmm. nailed the stuff on right. the wall. Um, he said, uh, you know, um, 
I have so many things to do today that I can't not pray for like three hours. I mean, that's like <laughs> a, a loose paraphrase, mm-hmm. but, um, but no, I, I think that's, that's actually, uh, that's, it's very counterintuitive, but I think that that's right. Like maybe you're trying to, you're trying to do too much. So, uh, I like this idea of like getting really quiet inside and in that e- equanimous state, uh, then vision casting and then making strategies out of that. Uh, Tim Ferriss, uh, I've been listening to uh, some interviews with him. Uh, he has this process in mind of like, you know, uh, first you got to make sure like your state is good and then you can tell yourself the right story and then you can strategize out of that. And so, you know, um, but, you know, one question I wanted to ask you is, you know, with, with kind of your current, uh, I'm just going to call it like your current is like wellness regimen, you know, what you do to kind of, uh, decompress and, you know, care, uh, self-care. Uh, are you content the way it is? Or are you looking for uh, new things? Both, in a sense. Uh, so you kind of, you have to kind of see, know where I'm coming from. Uh, I came, came from, oh, so, so before uh, we started the podcast, I was an account, I, I, and I say I was, um, I was an accountant who had my own firm, I was an uh, uh, insurance advisor, uh, insurance agent who also have my own firm. Um, and I've been working like heck, you know, like just ever since I started at 21, I've worked, I would, you know, work three days, you know, sometimes I wouldn't go to sleep, you know, because things got so busy and it was all on me. It was all my clients. It was my work. So um, they, I would go days without, sometimes without sleeping. Um just because there's so much work to do. And uh, I got in, you know, but but I was motivated. I, I was ambitious. And I was getting into that. And then um, before we started podcast, I, uh, I I changed career path. And I said, okay, this is not what I want to do. Let's go. Let's go into real estate. Um, and while I was doing this, you know, I also decided that I wanted to do a passion project with, with T here. Uh, so that's how I got into the podcast. So for me, it, it really helped me get into a really better place because I've never, I haven't had a chance to be creative. So I like this creative endeavor. So this really helps me with that. Um, so I, I, it, it's more like it add my, my meditation adds to my state of mind and it helps me be more creative and, uh, and quiet all the other noises down. Um, and that's the, uh, more, uh, effects of it but kind of to your point where you were talking about how uh you know tim ferris saying you have to quiet the mind get a bit better state of mind it's pretty much like working out you know you know once you you feel good with your body then you can do other things with your body um you know if you're always eating junk and not working out you're just sluggish and i think uh it really helps my mind not be sluggish Ah, so have you ever heard about anything, uh, ever heard of uh, biohacking? No. Ah, interesting. So you also mentioned that, you know, you're satisfied with the way, like, your wellness kind of regimen is uh, currently. Uh, but you said you're also open for, like, new things, to add new things. Um, and so I guess I wonder, if you were to kind of add new things, what, what exactly would you, what results would you be looking for? Or what kind of commitment would you be open to? For me, just to do more things, more of the things that I enjoy. Uh, oh, one thing I wanted to add is the video editing and the podcast editing. Like that's a skill that I want to learn um, just to be able to be at a point where I get to, in a sense, do what I want 
not that I never did what I want, but it, there was a lot of pressure in the before. And now this is like, hey, I, we get to do this for fun and uh, enjoy it and, uh, you know, speak our mind very, very freeing and, uh, you know, get to hang out with T and uh, talk about the topics that we always talk about. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I um, one of the things I, I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on is, okay. is something uh, I've been getting into, um, which is like a form which, with, within the large umbrella of like biohacking. Uh, and biohacking, you know, it, it can range uh, in a number of things. Like, um, uh, you know, it could be, for example, <laughs> this is kind of the weird stuff where like people will put ma- embed magnets in their fingertips. And so that way they can see what's magnetized or not. And so they've cr- they're creating a, essentially a sixth sense in that way, an artificial sixth sense, which is the sense of magnetism. They, um, put, they surgically in- insert mm-hmm. magnets in there? Whoa, oh, yeah. okay, okay. Some people, they put in some kind of like NFC chip there uh, so that they can unlock their door with just like their hand. Uh, other people, they put like uh, some kind of um, um, almost like a compass that vibrates when they're facing like true north. So that then they have an orientation to the North Pole. Um, and so, you know, it could be pretty creative like that. Uh, but then um, all that stuff, though, I don't like surgery. I've never had <laughs> the closest thing I've ever had to surgery is getting my wisdom tooth removed and mm-hmm. I hated it. So uh, I would never do any kind of elective surgery. But one subset of biohacking that I've been interested in recently is uh, ner- X-ray vision. Uh, <laughs> not, almost. <laughs> almost. Um, it's uh, neurohacking. Okay. Um, and within that, there's a couple subsets I've been interested in. Uh, first of first one I've been looking into is: Have you ever heard of neurofeedback? No. I, I mean, I I think I've heard of that term. I just don't know in co- what context. Ah, uh, so I've been meditating at this place in Culver City called uh, Peak Brain Institute. Okay. Uh, and you know, it's it's a for-profit business that just kind of hosts these free uh, meditation sessions. And then I never really seriously looked into you know uh, what it was all about. Uh, until I listened to an interview uh, of the founder, uh, Dr. Andrew Hill, uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, okay. Um, and what's interesting is that he began to talk about the history of neuroscience, and uh, it was actually was discovered uh, here in Los Angeles at UCLA. Uh, it was a researcher that was uh, kind of doing research on these cats uh, and where he would try to train the cats to create a certain brainwave uh, profile, and whenever the cats would create it, uh, they would get positive reinforcement, like oh, some milk. Oh, okay, okay. And so it's interesting, uh, by using cats, it showed it was not the placebo effect because cats are known to be not very compliant. You know, So, you know, this idea of neurofeedback, it's an involuntary process. And so, you know, he was able to, like, you know, train the cats to create this certain brainwave profile. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But then he got placed on a different research project for NASA. Uh, which was, uh, I guess, a few of the astronauts kept getting sick. And they're like, okay, I w- let's test exposure to rocket fuel. Is it, you know What kind of harmful effects come from this? And so what he did is he gradually exposed these group of cats to uh, rocket fuel. And at the lowest dosage, uh, they began just to kind of walk funny. Slightly higher dosage, they began to just lay down. Slightly higher dosage, they began to cry. Slightly higher dosage, they began to get seizures. Slightly higher dosage, they all died. And so it's a pretty bru- it's a pretty cruel like, experiment, pretty brutal. But what was interesting is that this kind of um, this this process stayed constant for all the cats except this one group. This one group of cats would not enter seizures. And so he was like, "Man, that's bizarre." And then he realized this is the group, same group of cats that I trained uh, to make these certain brain waves. And so he ended up applying this training to a human subject who was suffering from epileptic seizures. 
And this human subject uh, completely cured of her seizures. And so you mean like think your way th- to health in a sense? like uh, In a sense, because it's an involuntary process. So how, how neurofeedback works is, say, for example, uh, we want more uh, theta waves in this part of your brain. And so they're going to ta- like they're going to have you say like it could be watching a movie, it could be playing a video game. Uh, doesn't matter what the activity is, but some form of stimulus is going to be tethered uh, to a certain brainwave uh, pattern that uh, they that's desirable. And so, for example, say you're playing a video game, the airplane's flying. As long as your brain's creating that pattern, the, the plane's flying. The moment it stops, the game stops. And so your brain. Uh, automatically is trying to make this you're trying to make this association between if my brain if, if I do this then the plane can fly now is it more like uh, with, when you're thinking about brain waves is it like uh, it, what you're thinking of or h- how do you recreate those brain waves uh, so there's you know a handful of brain waves that scientists have discovered uh, there's alpha waves which are uh, of a certain frequency band and they're normally created in our resting state say when you close your eyes then uh, the portion of your brain responsible for vision uh, begins to emit uh, alpha waves and then say there's also like uh, you know delta waves which are like the slowest that are present when you're in, in deep uh, dreamless sleep uh, but then there's also like beta waves which are a lot more like higher frequency and those are, you know, when you're doing like active tasks. Um, but what's interesting about brain waves is that um, the metaphor I've heard is like, say, uh, there's a car running and you put your hand on the hood and you can feel the vibrations in the engine. And so you can kind of diagnose if something's wrong if the vibrations you feel are oh, weird. Right, right. And so that's where these brain waves aren't actually doing anything. The brain waves are more so a result of something your brain is doing. So it's a th- the thought that you have that creates those brain waves, or is, is it more of an emotion that you have? Uh, it can be any normal things. It could be some involuntary processes, like you know, keeping a heart beating. Uh, brain waves are created through that. It could be uh, you know a discursive thought. Uh, it could be a dreaming. It could be creative states. And so you know, uh, brain neuroscience is still a pretty new field, uh, but they've they've been able to kind of attribute, say, for example. Uh, theta waves to like uh, feelings of like creativity and almost like it's a more receptive your brain's in a more receptive mode versus like high frequency like gamma ray uh, gamma waves are more so like when you're really like you know trying to like really deep uh, really try to focus on something and like do a very active task and so there are some correlations but uh, you know the, the science isn't quite to the point where oh, I'm thinking of a dog and then by looking at your brain, he's thinking at it. I guess they just haven't. They just haven't, haven't got to that point at this. Oh point, right? no, not at all. So it's still okay. very much in its infancy, and so be, and largely because of the technology. Like uh, for example, the the EEG uh, mm-hmm. rigs that measure your brain waves uh, that maybe right now cost twenty to thirty thousand uh, dollars. That you know that technology used to cost millions of dollars, or wasn't even possible a few years ago. And so I think, uh, you know, I think the advances in like computing power have really opened up uh, the field of neuroscience. Um, and so, but what's interesting though, is like uh, going back to the story of the guy <laughs> experimenting on cats, uh, he actually released this, uh, the findings of this research and immediately all his funding got pulled. Uh, and it's because of the pharmaceutical uh, industry. Uh, because, you know, they, they have a vested interest in selling drugs to help seizures, you know, versus like this, you know, uh, neurofeedback therapy. You know, they can't profit off it. And they so, can. you know, and this this still holds true even today. Like, I don't know if you heard of CHAD, C-H-A-A-D. Uh, it's an organization for uh, people suffering from ADHD. 
And, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical company regularly pays so-called experts to come and speak at these events to discredit, to try to discredit uh, neurofeedback science. And so that's why, you know, a lot of investment has been made in the field. It's been pretty underground, but it's just because now it's, it's a lot more accessible, the technology. And plus there's people like the guy who started like Bulletproof Coffee, uh, like uh, more advocacy is rising. And so the, the data is actually really promising. I mean, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, we talk about AI and all that stuff. Like, to, our brain is like the most, it's the most amazing muscle in, in, in our body. No, very true. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and what's interesting is, you know, there's this very kind of uh, idea, there's this kind of primitive idea where it's like, oh, you know, but something's wrong with my, you know, for uh, uh, let me back this up. So for example, like, you know, when we go to the doctor, we get our heart rate monitored, we get blood work done, but we don't get an EEG done. And so we don't know what our baseline is. And so compare, but you know, that's where neurofeedback uh, is really great is because, you know, beyond the therapeutic uses, even just as a diagnostic tool, even just going in there, getting your brainwave scanned so you have a baseline that say in the future, like, oh man, I just feel a little slow. And then I do the blood work and nothing's wrong, but I just have this chronic fatigue. But if you're able to compare brainwaves uh, when you're feeling this fatigue to your baseline, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. We can see this difference, and then they mm. can also compare this to a database of other people's brain waves, uh, and then so they could see, oh, you know what? Most people who we see who have this kind of brainwave profile, uh, they have uh, ADHD. Like, have interesting. And so that's where, as a diagnostic tool, it could be like really powerful. Uh, and so actually, I've uh, began like dabbling in it a little bit. Uh, where I purchased this device called like Muse. Uh, it's supposed to be like a meditation tool. Okay. Uh, but what it does is it it's a very primitive EEG uh, a reader where it has two sensors uh, uh, in the front of your head and then two in the back behind the ears. And it measures, you know, th these various uh, brain waves. Uh, and it runs it through its own kind of proprietary algorithm so that, you know, when you meditate, uh, they have like three tiers, like active mind, like neutral mind and calm mind. And then they chart like, oh, when you're meditating, you're in like the active state here and then here you're in the more calm state and then they actually do some neurofeedback where like sounds of the weather like rain gets louder the more active your brain gets but the more like calm your brain gets then the weather gets quieter and if it gets really calm you begin to hear birds so are you seeing this uh in real time when you're measuring it or are you doing it and then looking at it what happened in the last five minutes for this muse app it's it's real time so you can actually almost kind of see what state you're at at that moment right away in a sense and that's why it's it's a useful it's actually useful for neural feedback because you're immediately getting that feedback so like as you're say focusing on your breath um like and then you know the weather gets quieter you're like oh, okay i'm doing this right you know because that, that's one of maybe one of the largest kind of pain it's points. like the best mood stone in the world in a sense because <laughs> it, it's it's really objective you know like it's not this like am i doing this right is this truly like samadhi you know but then i think you know by looking at your brain waves it could say like hey, you know, like we've created this algorithm by measuring like seasoned meditators like Tibetan monks and things like that. And so, you know, we're trying to get your brainwave profile to match you know, their brainwave That's profile. amazing. It's like, you know, because meditation is such an esoteric kind of woo-woo kind of thing. Uh, and now you can actually put it on paper. You can actually measure it and you can actually try to emulate it just looking at a piece of a, like a, a document or on an app. Yeah, no, yeah, very true. And so it's really exciting in that sense. So what know? are the applications? Like, I, I, it sounds like with the cats, they were able to 
not die. <laughs> oh yeah, not get into seizures, you know. Or yeah, so, not seizures. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, AD, it's really useful for treating ADHD because apparently uh, what I learned is that um, ADHD is be, uh, comes as a result of like uh, kind of a deficient prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. where because that's the executive function area of our brain where it's like people with ADHD um, they have very poor like impulse control. You know, because that high executive function doesn't really like mm-hmm. come in to say, "Hey, no, stop paying attention to that. Pay attention to this." Mm-hmm. Instead, they're just they're falling. Every yeah, they're not planning. Else. Yeah, exactly. They're like squirrel. But you know what's interesting is that uh, the time so that um, the reason why a lot of people who are into like extreme sports and things like that uh, generally have ADHD is because when they feel that fear, say you're climbing Mount Everest, like that's when they finally like lock in and then they experience what like no, uh, normal people who don't have ADHD experience, which is the prefrontal cortex kind of locking it down. Um, and so, but you know, that's all something that's happening in the brain. And so through this neurofeedback, you can kind of train your prefrontal cortex to, uh, you know, kind of develop the brainwave profile of like healthy people. And so that, you know, it, it can kind of help control these impulses. I've, uh, I heard a story ab- uh, <laughs> about some guy who can control his heart rate um, or and even blood pressure. <laughs> like, it's just amazing what our our human mind can actually do. And, you know, um, and, and that's the kind of the advent of all these wearables that you have. You know, now our, our watches, like, they can tell, you know, what your um, heart rate is and stuff like that. Eventually, it's going to be able to tell what your um, blood sugar is, um, your, your, your blood pressure. And imagine, just imagine if you can have that kind of feedback in real time, the kind of decisions that you can make. You know, like you're in line at the fast food joint and then you look like, oh, man, my blood pressure is pretty fucking high. <laughs> you know, but if you didn't have that, you're going to make some terrible decisions, you know. No, very true. Yeah, I, that's that's what I find most appealing about this. It just equips you with the information you need to make wise decisions, uh, you know, because otherwise it's like a lot. There's a lot of guesswork, you know, and, and I think that that's just uh, it, it's, it's hard, hard to make skillful. We're decisions. imperfect beings with imperfect information. You know? Oh, yeah. But the better information we get, you know, like uh, the better we can act on that information. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, my my, my neural feedback's uh, out of whack. I'm, I'm feeling rage. <laughs> no, yeah, because, you know, could we always try to like self-diagnose in this very kind of subjective way? I mean, similar to kind of what you shared earlier, like you meditate and then you get really quiet. and You're like, oh, wow, my mind's, you know, racing, you know, but like. Uh, what if you regularly got your neurofeedback and you're like, oh, my neurofeedback is very clearly saying it's racing. I mean, you know, this is something where, you know, you can only diagnose that, oh, my mind's really racing because you, you've trained yourself as a meditator. And I'm sure it's taken like many months, if not years, uh, to, to, to gain that kind of awareness, you know, versus like, for, say, someone who's never meditated, you know, something like the EEG uh, can be like a very like quick way to be like, oh, wait a minute, something's not right. What do you have to do when you have that? have that hooked up on your head do you have to meditate or do you just do whatever you want and then just see what the feedback is uh so you know i did download the third party app that kind of takes the raw data from the What's uh, this device app? it's called like a muse monitor okay uh it's if you like guys want to muse if you guys want to uh, sponsor us hey there'll be a link <laughs> in the description <laughs> um and so uh, then you get to see like all five different types of brain waves: uh, alpha, beta, theta, delta, and gamma. Um, you know, in real time, and then you can record it. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I think to get a baseline, I just have my eyes closed, and I just try not to, you know, just try to let my brain do whatever it wants to do for that minute or so of recording. Uh, and then, you know, I'm just right now. I mean, I've only been doing this for about a week, so I've just been kind of like recording this data. 
and eventually uh, I want to turn to some form of analysis, but um, you know, it's, I'm no neuroscientist, so I'm definitely still learning. Oh man. But okay. So what are, what are your goals or I don't want to say goals, but like, what, what are you trying to get out of this eventually? Ah, so this kind of brings me on to the second uh, kind of subset within neurohacking, which is uh, nootropics. Have you heard? Anything oh yeah, like yeah. Oh, okay, so I, I've done it before, but I feel like they never work. Ah, uh, so I mean, can, can, for our sake for our audience, can you describe what, what a nootropic? My is? understanding is uh, there are supplements that you take that helps in uh, enhance your brain function. Uh, either uh, you know, some people say it better helps you. It helps you focus better. It helps you think better, quicker, uh, just clearer mind. Um, I've done a bunch of them. Um, I even done the one for jo- from Joe Rogan on it because I think he's he is a guy who's a, he's an upstanding guy. He he I don't think he bullshits people too much, um, and so and but it is a product that he owns. He it's, it's his company on it. Um, it's called Alpha Brain, uh, and uh, but he's really into nootropics. He's really into you know brain function and stuff like that. Brain health, mental health. Um, and so I've always wanted to, you know, I have, I have that, you know, that, that self-improvement that I, how, how do I become more efficient, more productive? How do I not procrastinate? And I feel like taking a medication, taking a pill can help. Uh, it also stems from that movie limitless. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, oh yeah, we only, we only use 10% of our brain. What if we can unlock the other 90%? So every time I take that, I think I'm Bradley Cooper. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I, it has never to me, I never felt like there was anything uh, substantial where I felt that it really helped me. Um, it sleeping is what really helps me. <laughs> no, and you know, um, I also so I've never done nootropics before last week, uh, but then I began looking into it uh, as as I've been doing a little more research. But similar to you, I was like, you know, the thing that I'm concerned about is it's like uh, I don't feel anything, and so that's where. Uh, I was interested in monitoring my brain waves to see if, like, even if I don't subjectively feel anything, um, oh, is there a difference in terms of like the brain waves? Yeah, I don't, I you know, uh, I don't feel like when I take my high blood pressure medication, my blood pressure is low. But if I measure it, I can see that the blood pressure is low. Oh yeah, so that's a thing where it's like it's just it's just another tool for like kind of awareness. And so the nootropics. Um, how I'm gonna do it? So I do. I do know there are like uh, people like Joe Rogan and even like Dr. Andrew Hill that make their own kind of supplements. But generally, in these supplements, it's it's a mixture of many different types of nutrients. I think there's one ingredient in there that's most important. Uh, true, but there are kind of like certain synergies, you know. So, you know, not that I don't trust the research, but what it is is that, I mean, individual brain chemistry is so like you know personal to each person, and so for me. Um, for two reasons: one, to kind of mitigate risk and harm, and then two, just to, for uh, to prevent, like you know, hey, I've taken these ten supplements, and one of them seems to be doing something good. Do I have to keep taking all ten? You know, and you know, there's a cost factor to that, and like the nuisance. But and so that's where I've decided to kind of introduce each nootropic individually, and so that I can assess. Okay, right now I just have one nootropic, you know, for like two to three weeks, and then in two to three weeks I'll introduce another. And then I'll begin to see, okay, like what the difference is. Between well, that's the thing about nootropics. I, uh, my understanding is it's not, it's not like something that you take right, uh, take right now and you feel the effects of it. It's not like a, you know, like a drug. Um, it's more, it, it's a long-term effect. You know, you don't, eating one, uh, eating healthy for one day is not going to change anything. But I will say this, uh, I have, uh, I have actually subjectively noticed some, some differences, even in this one week that I've been doing it. There, there is a glow about you. Oh, well, thank you, Jack. <laughs> so first, I guess I'll share what my nootropics regimen is right now. 
Um, the first one I tried is, uh, this one's like a really kind of relatively safe hack. Um, have you heard anything about like the keto diet? Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you know about like ketosis, the fact right. that like your body normally would, runs on glucose. Uh, you get out all, all the, the simple glucose, uh, sugars, uh, the carbohydrates and you focus on fat. So your body start burning fat. And I hear if you start eating carbs afterwards, you get like this hangover, this carb hangover. Uh, oh yeah, it's because, so what ketosis is, is that you're right, once the body doesn't have enough uh, glucose, then it begins to switch its source of energy to fats, mm -hmm. which are metabolized by the liver, and it creates this thing called ketones, mm -hmm. and ketones are just another source of fuel. And what's interesting is, um, for the brain, uh, as we get older, our brain gets worse and worse at using glucose as a fuel, and many people attribute Alzheimer's to this phenomenon. And so that's where by introducing a second fuel source, ketones, uh, it, it aids in brain health. And in fact, brain uh, cells have been shown to have a preference for ketones versus glucose. Mm. And so, you know, if, if you look at me, you know, I don't need to lose weight. So that's why I'm not <laughs> experimenting with keto. Mm -hmm. But it's more so for like brain Very health. Stop hiding those abs. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to keep this uh, rated G. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, so I didn't want to go, I didn't go to want to go the full keto route and, you know, like really try to like, you know, have a weird diet because, you know, and they, I like eating some carbs. And so what I did instead is I found this thing called MCT oil. It stands for uh, medium chain triglycerides. And so essentially this is a type of oil uh, that's derived mostly from like coconut oil. And it's, uh, it gets directly metabolized by the liver, not by your digestive system. And so it's able to cr in, uh, create ketones in your body. Uh, oh. But without having to, you know, do the weird diet to in have your body enter ketosis, and so, um, you know, bulletproof coffee—that's that's they—it works on a similar function. Like they just add this kind of oil to, um, you know, coffee, and that's what I do to my morning coffee. I just tried kind of kind of the fast, uh, the first half of the day, and then I just drink this MCT oil in my coffee, and you know, I, I have you know uh, noticed kind of like a difference. Like I do feel like my focus is definitely better. I feel less lethargic. Um, but then the next level up, I began taking this uh, supplement called uridine. Have you heard about that one? Uh, so uridine, it's a it's a naturally occurring compound. Uh, it's found in uh, beer from brewer's yeast. Oh, I like this um, already. <laughs> and it's also found in human breast milk. Um, oh, my son will like that already. <laughs> it's also found, I think, in walnuts and I think tomatoes. Okay. Uh, but obviously not in the concentration that you can get in like a supplement. And so what interested me about uridine is that they've actually done studies where uh, it's a cocktail of uridine, uh, choline, and DHA, which is essentially fish oil. Mm -hmm. uh, that mixture uh, has been known to uh, show like an increase in neuroplasticity, at least in animals. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it, that, that's clinically proven. And so uh, I think the human research is still like, you know, a TBD. Um, but you know, so I first introduced this fish oil and this uridine into, uh, you know, my diet, uh, I'm probably going to add the choline in a couple of weeks. And so what I've noticed is that my exper emotional experience, I feel like the band is a lot more narrow now. Like I don't feel quite as high or quite as low. And what's interesting is reading the reports is that it's actually known to help certain forms of bipolar uh, depression. Really? Uh, and so I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, because it has something to do with like uh, dopamine receptors. Uh, it it, it kind of helps uh, uh, level like the amount of dopamine in, in your brain. Um, and so what it also does, though, is it does help neuroplasticity in that uh, it's 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 one of the uh, substances used to create RNA. Um, and so it helps aid in creating like new synapses as well as uh, better kind of protecting, uh, you know, the, those, those synapses. 
And so, you know, so far it's only been a weekend, but I definitely feel, you know, benefits in terms of like focus, uh, overall mood, um, overall like mental acuity. And so, you know, it, it's been like a, you know, I, I would say a pretty significant game changer. Where do you see the uh, the effects the most? You know, honestly, you know, I, I would definitely say like in my mood, you know, like I, I definitely feel like. Um, like things don't bother you as much. I just, you know, what's interesting is like I, um, I'm going to go on a slight tangent, but I'll explain why. Mm -hmm. So in my brainwave research, um, I was looking into the study uh, on PubMed about how, uh, you know, within there's, I, I mentioned a thing called alpha waves. Mm -hmm. And so it's a type of brainwave, but within this range of frequencies. And so it's not like this one frequency, but say it's like anywhere between eight to like 30 hertz or whatever. Um, but they did a study where they looked at individuals' uh, alpha waves and certain individuals that have like an eight hertz uh, frequency exhibit different personality symptoms than someone at like a 10 hertz. And so the correlation they found- From eight to 10? Yeah, yeah. That, wow. that small amount of difference. And so uh, the eight hertz, I believe, is like they're just more extroverted and more impulsive versus the 10 hertz is a little more like neurotic. And I found that uh, by being on this uridine, I find myself being more extroverted and slightly more impulsive and definitely less neurotic. Oh, okay. So the so the mood changes the the extroversion for you. Uh, yes. Ah. So so you're just not as uh, tired out in group settings. Uh, oh yeah, I don't have the the same kind of like almost emotional fatigue that I get from uh, interacting with other people. I also I feel less shy, like less like kind of sensitive. Uh, and less like neurotic, because I think what it is is that uh, when I'm shy, I'm just always wondering what's the right thing to say right now. And like you know, I get that too. Mm -hmm. Versus like you know, when I'm on this uridine, uh, uridine, it's just like oh, I'm just kind of flow. I'm just like not really thinking about it, just kind of doing it. You know? Now, is there a way for you to almost with neurofeedback recreate that without the uridine? You know, perhaps you know, like I haven't looked into all the applications of neurofeedback. But, you know, just from listening to uh, certain uh, people uh, in podcasts, you know, the, the application can be pretty, uh, pretty nuanced. Like this guy was talking about, um, he's the guy who founded like Bulletproof Coffee. I, his name escapes me. But um, he was talking about how like, you know, he would have certain fears, uh, but then he would just try to work those out through uh, neurofeedback. Wow. I, I, it, 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 it's crazy what we can do with our mind, I have to say. I mean, there, uh, there was another guy. Uh, he was uh, uh, up in Iceland or one of these like cold, cold countries, and he would not suffer from hypothermia. Yep, I, I know what you're talking about. There's this guy who has set the world record for a, a lot of temperature-related records, and it's but that is all through um, a meditation practice of like controlling his breath. I mean, these are superhumans. Oh yeah, no, because it's uh, yeah. It, once you begin to gain control over these like autonomous systems, then you're right. It's it's almost like in the realm of superpowers. It's it's literally like mind over matter right here. Oh yeah, but what's interesting is that you know within like say Buddhist history, you know there are records of like you know certain uh, mm. Tibetan, like certain these monks who were able to you know tolerate extreme temperatures. I, I, this is a sad sad to say, but like in in Tibet, there were monks who set themselves on fire in protest uh, against the Chinese government, and. <laughs> There was there was a picture of this guy setting himself on fire, and he was like meditating while he was on fire. 
I mean, the I guess you know the amount of control over your own like pain receptors and things like that. You know, I think that that definitely takes like a lot of. Uh, and also, uh, and I have to attest to that because there are times where um, I feel certain pains, um, certain hungers while I'm uh, meditating, um, but when I get into that real meditative state, like it just disappears. So I I can see how that could work. Oh yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, I think that's where it's just, it's such a new field. And what's interesting is, like, when introducing this uh, technology component, then I think it makes it a lot more accessible for everyday people like you and me. Because at the end of the day, you know, like, we're not going to go to a monastery and meditate for 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, we need it now. Although, although sometimes that, that does appeal to me. <laughs> just kind of disappear into the mountains and do, like, a like a silent retreat for, for maybe not 10 years, but... <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I mean, med- actually, I've been looking into like certain like kind of meditation retreats uh, more and more just because I do think uh, having an opportunity to kind of step out of your life. Uh, I think that's really valuable, you know, and also step out of your life and get into nature. Very true. You know, like I think humans were made for nature. Humans were made for uh, being, you know, one with everything, you know, like th- that that feeling when uh, after you get out, you you do a hike and you get to the top of the, the peak and then you look out into the uh the nice uh, mountain or or the ocean. I mean, it just feels this there's this, this sense that you can't explain. Like there's a satisfaction. No, I agree. You know, and some even some of the science uh, traces it back to exposure to natural sunlight. Um, that you know you need, I think, about like twenty minutes a day, not just for your skin to create like vitamin <laughs> yeah. D, vitamin but D. also for your eyes, mm-hmm. uh, just so that you're, you're you're it sets your circadian rhythm. I mean, that's why in Japan, all those salarymen commit suicide. Because they're just in their cubicle from like nine to nine or like seven to nine, you know, like just every day, just in front of a computer in their cubicle, looking at pieces of paper, looking at a screen and going home. And it's just like, it's a fucking, like, it's not good for your mental health. Very true, especially because a lot of forms of artificial light are now fluorescent or LED, mm. which are just only certain bands, uh, certain very narrow bands of the light spectrum, uh, which are actually harmful to humans. Mm-hmm. And, and and our built our bodies are not built for that. Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. Yeah, our our bodies is built for uh, being out there, <laughs> and this life is you know. And I think that's why it's making these waves, these kind of uh, research, because we're somewhat understanding, and I think our generation is understanding that too. Where we're like, the world we live in is not the world we want to live in. There's some kind of there. There's something within us that says, "Yeah, this is it's rebelling against this 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 system." No, very true, and that's why this topic of neurohacking and biohacking has been really interesting to me. If you think about it, we no longer live in a natural world, and so you know we can't just rely on like you know go with the flow because you know it's one thing if we're living like out in nature, you know eating the food we're growing, you know then yes, you know just by living a natural life, you know our bodies are made to sustain this. But our lives are so strange and artificial and abstract that I think you know we need to reach for like new creative solutions uh, in our in our modern world. And, and I, that makes me wonder, you know, like you know, have you have you seen that or read the book uh, Ready Player One? I've seen the movie. Oh, you seen it? Okay, so it's like um, I th- I think about that world a lot. I think about like how things are going to look in the future. That you know everybody's going to be in the matrix and everybody's going to be plugged in and stuff like that. Have you ever had a VR kind of headset on? Oh, uh, yeah, I've, I've tried it a number of times. It's fun, but I can only do like 20 minutes at a time. 
mm. or something like that. I know what you mean. There's some kind of mental fatigue that comes from using it. Mm. Um, I, I, I agree. You know what the weirdest thing experience I've had, though, on it is uh, I was playing this game. It was through, like, the PlayStation's VR. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you played this game where it's like you're going through like this almost like haunted circus thing. So it's like mm, scary okay. clowns, that kind of stuff. But at one point you're riding in like a cart, you know, and as you're kind of going through it. Uh, and I think you have guns, you can shoot stuff. But what's the strangest experience is when it was like kind of going down, like I felt the inertia in my body. Yeah, yeah. Even though I wasn't even moving. And I was yeah. like, damn, the mind's a powerful thing. Like uh, I did one where you were surfing. Mm. And, and it's like you almost... It's like you feel the wetness actually, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? Like, and and I also did one where it's a snowboarding where you jump off a ramp, and you're like, whoa, okay, this is interesting, and you almost your body almost like tricks yourself into it, like you you jump up and you you almost like raise yourself up a little bit, and you you tuck in your chin, uh, and it's it's amazing how your mind uh, uh plays trick on tricks on you, but. Um, yeah, I can only do that for a few minutes. So I, I feel like the future is more like augmented reality rather than virtual reality. Well, you know, one thing I will say, though, is maybe just the future is not for us. You know, cause I think <laughs> No, no, I'm, I, I say that because... That's, you, I, I, know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Because these younger kids, man, like, if you think about it, uh, I've been looking, I picked up a client recently in, like, the esports space. And, like, as I've been kind of studying that subculture... It's like a lot of these kids, like they're they're having trouble interacting socially in the real world, but then you know, like a, a fish in water in this digital world, you know. And I and as I began to kind of look into it more, I realized it's like in the digital world, you get to have like a digital presence, like this avatar, so you get a chance to kind of control like who you are and how you look. Versus here in the real world, like, and I'm stuck being like this this Asian dude, you know. Um, and I've been hearing that, you know, even there's a, a close a correlation to like cos- mm. cosplay and like the anime subculture mm-hmm. where like uh, I was just talking to a friend and she was saying that like her, I believe, like niece, um, super shy, super socially awkward. But then when she puts on this cosplay like costume and goes to these conferences, everyone's like, oh, can I get a picture with you? Oh, I love you because they, they love the picture. They love the character, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, that she's, she's dressed up as. But, you know, for her she experiences the same kind of love. And so like that kind of persona she puts on, you know, feels like more real to her and mm-hmm. it's easier for her to interact than her like normal biological body. Um, yeah. I guess it's a, it's more like identity, you know, like what do you feel most, which skin or which mask do you have on? I mean, in a, in a certain level, everybody has some kind of a mask on, oh, you know, but then now this is like in the digital world, you can, it's ev- anything is possible. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I know a friend who uh, who got married after uh, meeting her husband on uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, you know, that's not uncommon. That's mm-hmm. not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And then she says, like, because uh, they were kind of long distance for a while. So they would have dates on World of Warcraft. They would have their avatar sit down and uh, eat. And then they would get up and dance together and stuff like that. Like, like literally, like, they're not, they're not, you know, if you think about a game, you're like, oh, let's go do a mission together. And that's it. No, no. They were like, hey, let's meet up and just sit down and eat, you know, and that was to them. I bet their their neural feedback was like, I'm on a date. That was like the date wavelength. (laughs) The horny wavelength came in. (laughs) 
I've never tried it, but I'm not going to knock it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock mm-hmm. it. I mean, mm-hmm. if it serves you, it serves you. you yeah, know? yeah. Um, but that's when I say, like, maybe the future's not for us, you know? Because I think we're the last generation that got a chance to live in, like, the, the analog the world. analog world. Like, yeah, yeah, like, we lived, you know, got a chance to live pre-internet, pre-smartphone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely see these this technology as an intrusion into our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you grow up and that's actually the world you prefer over this real world... Um, I, I, this is what I'm noticing. Uh, <laughs> last time I saw my my brother-in-law, um, and it, it was very interesting because um, you know my mind. Uh, I used to think I could multitask, but the older I get, I feel like nah, I, I can only focus on one thing at a time. Uh, I'd like to do different things at the same time, but really, I can only focus on one thing at a time. But for him, I remember one time he was sitting down, he was talking to his girlfriend playing a game on his phone i think it was poker or something listening to the podcast on his phone and he had the tv on at the same time like he was doing all this and i I remember thinking going how the fuck are you doing that (laughs) but he was doing it like that was very natural for him no and I, i don't think he's alone in that um i mean it's sad to say though i will say that research is showing that uh you know that's actually not really good for our brains. That we, we, we our brains function much better, you know, focusing on one thing. Like multitasking is actually not not, not very good for us. But at the same token, um, not it's very, very good for us. In what sense? Oh, because uh, having a divided attention, you know, like I think it's something where um, like I, it hurts our me- mood, mental health. Like I believe so. I think it's harder for like memory formation. I mean, I'm gonna have to oh look definitely into research, for sure. Oh, yeah. So I think our brains are naturally more so naturally wired to focus on one task at a time and will perform tasks better with our absolute focus. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, I just think like there's so much kind of, I guess, anxiety uh, that that's present that I think, you know, the anxious mind likes a lot of distractions. Uh, I, I noticed this. There's a season where like I was feeling kind of down. And so I would just kind of, uh, I would practice mindlessness <laughs> and I would just watch these like, you ever watch like Vine compilation oh, yes, videos? Yes, I love YouTube? those, man. Oh, yeah, this is the most like mindless kind of stuff. But I noticed like, that- Especially like after I smoke out or something like that. That's those are Those are the best videos. Like you just don't want to think about anything. You just want to take in as much stimuli as possible. Oh, yeah. But I noticed that at a certain point, though, when I would keep doing this, it wouldn't get me into that mindless state enough so that I would have to listen to music while watching this video. <laughs> like I had to keep like stacking like these distractions, you know. Uh, and so that's why I and, and that's why, like, even from my own firsthand experience, like I don't advocate for practicing mindlessness. I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's times when everyone just picks up, uh, you know, the old Ben and Jerry's and just kind of mm-hmm. watches, uh, t- mm-hmm. you know, buying compilation clips. But you know, I, I just don't think that's it's healthy uh, over the long term. It's kind of like an addiction thing, right? It is. I I, I truly believe I, it, it is rooted in. It's addiction. just like, hey, more dopamine. I need more dopamine. I need a visual dopamine. I need an audio dopamine. I need to taste dopamine. I now I need to smell something. <laughs> oh, very true. And I think, uh, but I think the true cure is is one that leads to insight. You know, because I think you know from my own experience, um, you know what I really love about um, say. I guess the the richer spiritual traditions like Buddhism versus say like secular mindfulness is that it's not just a practice they're teaching you like in terms of like uh, meditation, but it's also a set of perspectives in which to kind of like make sense of the world. Um, How uh, I'll keep going. Oh, and I, and I feel like uh, for me at least, maybe because I'm more of a philosophical person, like it helps to have both. Uh, like kind of the the reason why you're doing the meditation. 
Uh, so what it is, it's like you know, one thing I like about, I mean, by no means, so I want to first put the caveat out there. Anyone listening who's like a real Buddhist or like has really studied this stuff, you know, feel free to correct me. You know, I'm, I'm a novice, you know, I'm a novice. <laughs> I don't even use the label Buddhist, you know, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> just too, too ignorant. Um, but you know, some of the things I've found helpful is like a lot of it's just about kind of like recognizing reality versus any kind of belief system. And mm-hmm. so an example I give is like, uh, there's this idea that there's there's four responses to anger. Um, you can blame yourself, you can blame others, you can fall into despair, or you can investigate. Blame others. <laughs> but it's more so like recognizing, okay, like I'm angry right now, and how am I responding? Uh, you know, and if you could think of like a fifth or a sixth, you know, please chime in in the comments. But like, but it's something where. Um, that at least helps you kind of like recognize what's happening versus like without that framework, it's like oh, it's I'm angry uh, all the time. What's going kind of like uh, Victor Frankl? Uh, the 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 between stimulus and response is choice. You know. Yes, and it gives you choice. You know, because I've developed this new kind of like mantra for this particular moment in my life, and it's uh, the price of freedom is vigilance. Mm. And for me, you know. You know, I, I think there's this misnomer where people like to think of freedom as just like unencumbered choice. Like I could do anything, no, but no. that's not it at all. Uh, the freedom I'm speaking of is this inner freedom, this inner liberty. That you can control everything. Uh, oh, yeah, that you had this experience of freedom inside of you, you know, and that's where, uh, but that's only possible through vigilance, you know, and that's something where, uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, with this nootropic regimen uh, and this monitoring regimen, I've also started these small little life hacks. Like uh, I picked this up from Tim Ferriss where he was talking about, uh, he interviewed like a bunch of these successful people, like billionaires and whatever. And he was looking for like common practices that they all do. And a statistically significant um, uh, number of them, the first thing they did when they first woke up in the mornings was make their bed. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Even though they're billionaires, they have maids, they live in hotels, like they don't need to. For whatever reason, a lot of them do it. And so he started doing it, and he realized, like, oh, I, I now understand why it's helpful. Uh, and it's because it's, like, the first action you take in the day, it's imposing order over your, your world. Uh, and so that's an act of empowerment. Mm. Um, and so, like, that's really, like, the momentum that you want to carry in, you know, to mm-hmm. the rest of your day. Mm-hmm. And so I've started kind of doing that. And, you know, I, I do feel like these kind of, like, setting, like, really good, healthy routines, it is limiting in some ways. But in that way, uh, by being vigilant about maintaining these limits, uh, I experience more inner freedom. And, and it's just the, these little, little things that you do. Like the one I, I practice, I never make my day, my bed. But the one I <laughs> practice is because I, I always think it's going to get messed up anyways. Uh, the one I practice is um, always uh, don't leave your, uh, always uh, empty your sink at the end of the night. Oh, from of dishes. Yeah, of dishes. So this way, you wash everything, you get everything clean. Even if you're tired, even if you're just like I'm, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it, because what it does is when you you wake up the next morning, you don't have those dishes in mind. You start up the day fresh, and you're like, okay, now what? I, what do I need to do today instead of what do I need to clean up from yesterday? like that it reminds me of a mindfulness practice called leave no trace mm-hmm. where it's essentially every space you enter you leave the same state that you, you found it in. Mm-hmm. and 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 to kind of uh i think i think i think uh with meditation a lot of people uh mindfulness is is more like okay you you understand what's happening at the present moment um so you take in the present moment instead of reacting to it and um and, and, and I think when you have a philosophy behind it, you understand why you are reacting to it. So, for example, uh, it used to be uh, I would I would 
meditate with with music. Then I got to a point where I stopped using music because I used to think that without the music, I can't concentrate. Like a sound here and a sound there. Somebody, my dog barking. Uh, now my baby crying, which I actually have to attend to now. So I can't, I can't just ignore that. <laughs> there is no baby. <laughs> and I let him cry long enough. There will be no baby. Um, and then, so, so um, then, then you know then it got to a point where a sound is just a sound. A dog barking is just a dog barking. Uh, a, a car honking is just a car honking. It's it's the meaning that you attribute to it. Um, and then so that that's the philosophy behind it. It's like, hey, between stimulus and response is choice. That choice you assign to somebody cutting you off in the on the road, like you know, it says more about you if it bothers you than it does about the person cutting you off. I know, and I, I think that's actually like a fundamental uh, principle within Buddhism called like shunyata, which is like emptiness. This idea that you know, once you strip away our own projections that we place on things, like you know, yeah, it sounds just a sound. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that's really important just because I, th- I do feel like meditation, it gets this bad like uh, reputation of like, it's about thinking about nothing. It's about like, you know, but it's actually, no, that's not it at all. It's not shutting out, you know, like stimuli, but it's just like being so spacious that you can, you can hold everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've heard it likened to you put a spoonful of salt in a glass and you drink that water, it's going to be salty. But you put that same sp- uh, spoonful of salt in a lake, that water is going to be pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh and, uh, you know, kind of to bring it back to what we usually, usually talk about, um, I've gotten to the point where uh, I, I used to think Fox News is terrible. I'm going to listen to CNN. And now I got to a point where, like, CNN is fucking terrible, too. I'm going to listen to Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, it feels like there is. And then now it, and then I took a step back and I went, you know what? I'm watching these for entertainment now because it's not information. It's uh, it, the, the, what I now the meaning I attribute to it is they're brainwashing you. They're trying to make you put on a certain lens so you can associate one thing with another. You know, like they're trying to paint this other side as racist people, you know, and then they are trying to paint these other people as, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, people who hate our country, you know, like, um, and, and once you see that enough, that's the lens that you have, you know, and that's the, so you, once you see somebody says Democrat, like right away, you go like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then a uh, Republican, oh man, you're a racist. Like they, nobody understands that one line between them. Like you get to choose to do that. You, you're the one who chose to do that. You're the one who chose to put on that those glasses that the media handed to you, <laughs> you know, those 3D glasses that you have. No, very true. They've done studies where like they, they, they introduce a policy idea. But the moment they introduce it, like, oh, this is a Democrat, this is a Democratic idea. Republicans are like, oh, I hate it, you know. Same policy, but then they switch. Oh, this is a Republican idea. Oh, I love it. I love it, you know. So that kind of like tribalism, it, it, it's a well documented phenomenon. Yeah, I feel like uh, we should get the uh, <laughs> the politicians to meditate themselves too. No, 
perhaps, you know, because I do feel like the the path forward is is non-dual. You know, I think that's where I like I love Andrew Yang's uh, um, slogan of like it's not left, not right, but forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, I, I do feel like this tribalism is hurting us now. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Taj Tell. If you like what you heard, go ahead and just smash that subscribe button. Or give us a like, a thumbs up, anything to help. And make sure you turn on the notifications. Five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what the ratings are. A lot of... Or Google. <laughs>